from Jonah, I'd like to begin in chapter 3, verse 10, and then read through chapter 4. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented at the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Did you see how many times in that scripture um, the word said, God appointed? Isn't that interesting? Uh, God appointed. It's interesting in this tumultuous season in Jonah's life that uh, God was moving powerfully. He was very active. And I'm going to believe that that's true for us in the tumultuous season of our life, that God is moving and active and doing powerful things. And what's my role? I'm the worm. How did Psalm 22 put it? I'm a worm and not a man. That God appoints us for his sovereign purposes as well. So God, take the words of my mouth, would you, and the meditations of all of our hearts, and may they be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? Well, we've been studying Jonah together uh, for many weeks and and finding in many ways that we are Jonah, that um, God included this particular scripture for us for such a time as this. Because each of us are in those situations as well where God is, is, is demanding that we grow our understanding of Him. He's pressing the boundaries of our lives. We saw many of those earlier in this service. That God is pressing the boundaries of our lives and asking 
us to trust Him and to go deeper with Him. And so, as we finish this book today, I'm just delighted to be able to, um, to summarize this book with you for just a second. We've seen three major purposes. There are many more, but three that we have accented in this nine-week journey together. We've seen that, that God uses the book of Jonah to show us how He pursues sinners. And I've asked you, oh sinner, sinner, see yourself in the story of Jonah. It may be that you are one of the sailors. It may be that you are a Ninevite. It may be that you are Jonah himself. But know that God is pursuing you. Not just to pursue sinners, but it shows us how God uses His people in the world. And I pray and hope that you've been empowered, you've been called to let God use you in people's lives like He even used this this resistant uh, person, Jonah. Even in spite of ourselves, God uses us. But today especially, I want you to, to capture a picture of God's heart. To see God's heart and to show you, especially today, the difference between God's heart and ours. So, so let's dig right in, if we can. Um, what's going on in our passage here? Well, it's become very clear, has it not, that Jonah has a problem. I'm going to push it further and I'm going to play on words with you one more time. And, and that is that Jonah has a disease, right? He's uncomfortable with the role that God is asking him to play. He's uncomfortable with the person that God is turning out to be, the very character and nature. He's at dis-ease and it's a heart problem. He has heart disease, right? Jonah has heart disease, and it's killing him, and he doesn't know it. Now, in this final chapter of Jonah, we're going to see the effects of that disease. And I have to warn you, it's not pretty, right? It's not pretty. And if you're like me, you're going to see yourself in Jonah's life here. Even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, even if you don't consider yourself religious, you're going to see probably symptoms of Jonah's disease in your life. And at the end of the day, people, both religious people and non-religious people, are made of the same stuff. As we said earlier today, we're sinners. We're people who've fallen short of the glory of God. So as you look around this room, there is not one person in this room who has not fallen short of the glory of God. Don't misunderstand our joy. It's not that we think somehow we're better than anybody else. No, we know. We know we're broken. We've just found a Savior. We've found a Savior. And, and day by day and little by little, He's transforming us into the image of of Jesus. So who is it that I'm talking to today? Who am I who am I speaking to? I'm speaking to saved people, but I'm speaking also to people who are on the journey, to seekers. Why? Because saved people and sin, and seekers are still sinners. We're still people who desperately need God's word to come to us. So if you remember God told Jonah I'm not going to summarize the whole story because we're running out of time here today, but just let it suffice to know that God called Jonah. He ran. 
God revealed himself spectacularly to Jonah in the belly of a whale. Jonah reluctantly went in to the city where God had called him and walked one day into it and preached uh, eight words in English, five words in Hebrew, message, 40 days, and then Nineveh is going to be overturned. It's going to be turned upside down. And, and then, and then that's all it tells us that Jonah said. And then the whole city repented of their wickedness. The whole city repented of their behavior. They repented of their violence. And they put on sackcloth and ashes. And God saw that. And despite the fact that this was one of the most uh, uh, terrible nations on earth at that time, this is one of the most difficult places God did a work in their hearts. And they humbled themselves before God. And it ticked Jonah off. It ticked him off. He could not in his heart find room for the grace that God was offering these violent and wicked places. And I have to tell you that I am Jonah. I mean, let me just do an experiment with you for a second. Is there a country in this world that, that most frightens you? Is there a country in this world that symbolizes for you evil or wickedness? Has it come to mind? I, I don't know what's in your mind right now, but, but two countries um, come to my mind. Um, and, and, and I don't know why. I'm just going to share with you my raw stuff here. North Korea. And probably a nuclear threat scares me of North Korea. And, and the other one is, I thought about this, is probably Iran. Right? Iran. Do you know that one of the greatest revivals in the globe is happening? Are you ready for this? In Iran right now. Do not... Do not be confused by what you see the government proclaiming, right? Would you like to be judged by what the government of the United States proclaims? Okay? Get my point? Well made? Okay? Right? Um, and not just the president, the whole, we're, we're, you know, government's heir, right? This is a loose translation of a biblical principle. Governments mess up, but the government usually doesn't really represent the people. And that's not, that's not true in Iran as well. And there is a powerful movement happening in Iran. People are discovering the truth. Do you see how my fear of that would keep me from, from praying? Right? My fear that I don't want to pray for Iran because nothing ever is going to change in Iran, right? And, 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 and by the way, if it did change, I'd still be ticked off, right? Uh, I am Jonah. I am Jonah. I have a diseased heart. Well, here's the reality. God will expose our disease. Our discomfort, in that sense of the word, but also our heart disease. God is the great physician. And he's bound by his nature and character to heal, right? To heal. And so... so God is wanting to do heart surgery on us. He's wanting to bring healing to our diseased hearts, right? It's so hard to let him do that. I don't know if you're like me, but I hate going to the doctor. I hate going to the doctor, and there's only one thing I hate worse going to, and that's the dentist, right? Apologies to doctors, nurses, and dentists in the room. 
right? Um, I, I just do not want to go. And when I do go, I say, oh, please be gentle with me, right? Be gentle with me. Um, I know that this is going to be somewhat painful, and we live in an era when it's the least painful in all human history. But I still despise going there. Why? It's going to expose my cavities. It's going to expose my disease. It's going to expose, I just say dispose, it's going to expose the things in me that need healing. By the way, after two years, I finally went to my doctor last week, right? And uh, this is just off the, off the cuff here, but he said, you got a thyroid problem, right? And, um, and I said, well, yeah, we, a couple of years ago, we kind of talked about that, but you thought maybe the numbers were just off. He says, well, take this and see if it doesn't help a little bit. Oh, new boy! Right? I trusted myself to the doctor, and all of a sudden I have energy again. I'm not, not, this might not be your solution, so please don't. I just, it's crazy. It's crazy. I just, one little thyroid thing, and a lot of you are on thyroid, but you know what I'm talking about. I feel completely different. How long are we going to wallow in this spiritual disease when there's a great physician? who wants to heal it, who wants to speak into it, and we won't come to him. We won't go to him and say, I need help, right? Well, what happened for Jonah? What, ha- what did God expose when Jonah risked going and doing what God said? First of all, I, I'm, and this is Dave here, but I, I wanted to say Jonah's head was fine, right? Jonah's head was fine. We saw last week, thank you so much, Pastor Sean, we, we saw last week that Jonah knew all about God in his head, right? He quotes the passage that we intertwined with Great is Thy Faithfulness. He quotes that passage word for word. He knows that God's personal name, and he calls on God's personal name. He knows in his head God's heart, that is, God's nature and character. It's like he says, this is who God is. There's a program, I've not seen it, but everybody's talking about it all the time. This is us, right? Any, any This is us fans out there? Uh, you know, why? Because it shows us people's true nature and character, right? He says, this is God. This is God. What is God? God is merciful. He's sympathetic to our weaknesses. He does not give us what we deserve. God is gracious. He shows us undeserved favor. Oh, this is, this is um, Jonah quoting Moses, right? God is slow to anger. He's patient with us. God is abounding, overflowing in steadfast love and faithfulness, Right? Jonah's problem is not in his head, right? He knows God always follows through on his love and his promises. Jonah even knows this about God. God is forgiving. God is forgiving. He takes our sin away and lifts the heavy burden of our sin and guilt off of our shoulders. But it's interesting if you compare... If you compare Exodus 34 with Jonah chapter 4, you realize that Jonah did not proclaim one thing about God that Moses did. Jonah did not proclaim what Jonah wanted most. Jonah did not proclaim the justice of God. 
Jonah knows about all about God's character, but he does not believe any longer that God is just. What Jonah had not experienced from God was the justice of God. So Jonah's head is fine, but Jonah's heart is not like it was created to be, right? His heart was created to be like God's. Just as, as God's heart was full of mercy, so Jonah's heart was created to be full of mercy. Jonah's heart was created to be full of grace. Jonah's heart was created to be slow to anger. Jonah's heart was created to overflow with steadfast love. But his heart wasn't like it was created to be. His heart was full of idols. It was full of lesser things. And let's summarize again. We've looked at idolatry many times in the past, but let's summarize it one more time. Idolatry is when you build your identity on anything other than God. Right? Anything before God is idolatry. I've shared with you when I was in middle school, that was the toughest time in my life. I had no clue who I was. I had no clue about the love of God. But I found a temporary identity in trumpet playing, believe it or not, in music. And I shared with you a few weeks ago that I I anchored myself in that identity for a short period of time, right? And And then, for whatever reason, my academics kicked in a little bit. I started to do better than I had in elementary school. And, and, and I started to find my identity as the good student, right? I, I found an identity in this thing called the good student, but none of those things filled the gaping hole in my heart. And it wasn't until a, a group of people loved me and showed me the love of Christ that I found a greater identity. In our class this morning, say, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. And several of the people in Discovering Christian Media says, I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. Men often find their identities in their strength, right? God made us strong or some other physical ability. And then in our confusion, about who we are and what God intends for us, we tend to find our identity in our sexual prowess, right? And, right? And, we, and we get a different scorecard for what's important. And then oftentimes that translates to earning capacity or possessions or something else. Women are vulnerable to the same things, but also oftentimes they find their identity in their roles, in their relationships with other people. And when God pulls out some of the underpinning of that, we wonder, who are we really? Let me say something, and then I'm going to say it again. But I want you to hear it and wrestle with it for a second. Your identity is what the most important person in your life thinks about you. Wow. A bunch of you are already rebelling. I can feel it. Let me say it again. Your identity is what the most important person in your life thinks about you. I'm not, I'm not controlled by anybody else, right? I mean, I, I, what I think about myself is, is more important than, and I'm saying, be careful. 
Be careful because each of us put someone in that most important role. I'm not saying you don't have control of your identity. I'm saying your identity is going to come from who you put as most important in your life. Do you hear my cry to you? That's why it's so important that you make that person God. That you put God as the most important person. Why? Because what he thinks about you really is your identity. He thinks you're his precious child. He thinks that you're his beloved. And, and as you live into what God thinks about you, your whole identity changes. So idolatry is when you build your identity on anything other than God. But idolatry is also when you desire something more than God, right? When I find more happiness in being successful in my career than in knowing God, I have created an idol. When I find my, my security and even delight in, in my financial acumen or, or the size of my bank account, right, then I'm in danger of, uh, of an idol taking the place of, of God, right? When I find my identity in that dream of what being happily married would, would be like for a single person, I'm in danger of making an idol out of this hope and this dream. Jonah. Jonah found more delight in the prosperity of his nation and the destruction of his enemies than he did in knowing and delighting in God. Do not misunderstand me. Um, I am so grateful to God for living in this time and this place. I'm so grateful for the privilege of being an American, right? But that cannot be my identity, right? That cannot be. Nations come and go. And, and, and while this has been such a blessing, if our identity is in this, America will not last forever. It will not last forever. Our identity has to be in something else. Jonah's identity became, uh, I don't have time to go into it, but in this false identity of the people of Israel who split off from God and created all kinds of false worship, and he found his identity not only in that, but then in nationalism for this, this errant child of God, this errant nation, Israel. Judah was still being faithful, but, but, but Israel was not. And so Jonah was so wrapped up in that identity, he did not understand the mercy of God for those who were not Israelites. And he missed, he missed the blessing of God as a result of that. So idolatry is when you build your identity on something other than God or when you desire anything more than God. Remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His right relationships. Everything else will be added. Cannot have something before God. But where does, where does idolatry lead? Where does it take us, right? We've seen together during our study of Jonah that it leads to fear. It leads to fear. And I've been processing this with you in my own life, but I I found that when I find myself growing in feelings of resentment, when I find myself feeling hurt, when I find myself growing in bitterness or anger, it's usually for, for one of two reasons. It might be because of pain. 
It might be because of pain. My spectacular failure on the racquetball court was because of a fear of pain. And I'm a wuss when it comes to pain. Remember the dentist? Uh, I am. I am. But also, but also it comes from a fear of loss. A fear of loss. And even now we are struggling, aren't we? We are so afraid of what we might lose personally in our families, in our church, in our nation that we take our eyes off of what we might gain through trust in God. And fear inevitably, inevitably leads to anger. It leads to anger. In fact, if you find yourself angry, a a great question to ask is, what am I really afraid of? What what pain am I afraid of? What, What am I afraid of losing? Because it inevitably leads to anger. Because there's always something about ourselves that, that we think that, that we deserve, we think makes us worthy. And if any of that's ever threatened, we begin to slide into bitterness, into resentment, into anger, even into rage. Right? And here's, here's the danger. Do you remember what Jonah did when he got angry at God? He ran first, right? But then when he was busted, when he was called out on the ship, what did he what What did he say? Destroy me, he said. Throw me overboard, right? And if that were not enough, then he said it not only to the sailors, but he said it to God. And with that, not only enough, then he said it to God again in our chapter. Is it good for you to be angry? Is it right? Pastor Sean helped us understand. The the word is actually told. You know, Mazel Tov, good fortune. That's the same word right here. Is, Is it good Is it good for you to be angry? No, it's destroying you. Fear and anger lead to self-destruction, right? It leads to self-destruction. And by the way, self-destruction is not just self-destruction, is it? Did you hear me? Self-destruction is not just self-destruction, is it? The blast zone from our anger, the blast zone from our self-destruction impacts everybody around us. And, and, and it doesn't just impact them for the moment. Horror of this week is going to impact people. If, if God doesn't intervene, if they can't accept the grace of God, it's going to impact them for generations. It's going to impact them for generations. The consequences of self-destructive tendencies are generational. Let me push that further, though. Let me push that for the consequences of anger are generational. The consequences of fear are generational. The consequences of sin are generational. Idolatry that isn't destroyed will end up destroying you. Let me say that again. Idolatry that isn't destroyed will end up destroying you and if if God doesn't intervene, if someone doesn't say, no longer, I'm going to break the cycle of generational sin, the cycle of generational fear, the cycle of generational um, destruction, I'm going to break that cycle, then it will continue to the third and fourth generation. And the scripture went by us so fast, but, but you've seen it before. But God says for the woman or the man or the student, for the person who says, I'm, that's going to stop with me, 
It's going to stop with me. The blessings, should the Lord tarry, is a thousand generation. A thousand generations. Psalm 103, Exodus 20, Exodus 34. Seven times in Scripture this, this formula is given to us. For the courageous person who says, I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm not going to give in to anger. I'm not going to give in to self-destructive tendencies. The blessing, should the Lord tarry and not return, is for a thousand generations. So, so Jonah, his heart was created to be like God's, but his heart was full of idols. And Jonah's heart knew no compassion. There was, and this is a quote from, I think, uh, Hunt for Red October, there's no room in his heart for anybody than Jonah, right? Anybody else but Jonah. His heart was full of idols, and as a result, he had no compassion. And remember that compassion, the word compassion in English now, means to enter into someone else's suffering. He couldn't enter into the suffering of the Ninevites who were far from God and were going to spend an eternity apart apart from God if nobody intervened. He couldn't do that because he had no compassion. And, And the irony of this is that Jonah has been the recipient of God's compassion, right? Of grace upon grace. Think storm and fish and recommissioning, right? He's been the recipient of all this compassion, but it didn't take up residence in his heart. God knew, excuse me, Jonah knew that God was a compassionate God and he was resentful of it, right? That's so ironic because if anybody had been blessed by the compassion of God, it was Jonah, right? He's the person in this story who had received the most compassion of all. But he's resentful because he doesn't see himself in the category of those who need great Grace. Let me say it again. He does not see himself in the category of those who need great grace. You see, if you think that you're basically a worthy person, then you begin to believe that God owes you good things. And when you don't get good things, you're shocked and angry because you believe that they are your right. And when someone else who doesn't get who doesn't, you believe doesn't deserve it, gets good things, you are shocked, right? You are shocked and resentful. But when you see yourself as you really are, right, in great need of compassion, then God's compassion becomes the most precious attribute to you, right? Then, then God's compassion becomes the most important thing about it. The person who understands God's compassion, the person who understands God's grace toward them is amazed by it. Is amazed by it in their own life and they delight to extend it to others. They want other people to experience what they have experienced. So let me ask you, how is your heart today? When I was in desperate need... God gave me an EKG. When Karen was in desperate need, God took us to the place where they invented the EKG. Let's do a quick spiritual EKG, right? What's, what's true about you today, right? Many of us, God's already revealed that to us and we're wrestling with 
But some of us are honestly and, and humbly still trying to figure out, that's okay. Welcome. You are welcome here. Let me ask you a couple questions maybe to help you find that. What's true about you? Let me address first your mind, okay? Let me address first your mind. What are you most terrified of losing? What is it that you obsess about obtaining? I guess I'm asking, what drives you right now? And let me ask, is it the compassion of God that's driving you right now? What is the one thing that you could not imagine being happy without? Right? What is the one thing that without that, life would not be worth living? I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty confident that played into Evan Merritt's taking his own life. Remember, these things are good things. They're good things, right? Many of them. It's not just terrible sins, right? Sometimes it's good things that you're idolizing that are keeping you from the mercy of God. Let me also address your emotions. Is your life marked by worry or anger or jealousy or hate or unforgiveness? Can I just say to you, welcome to my world, right? Welcome, welcome to the human race. You're not weird. God loves you in the midst of that, but he does not want to leave you there, right? He does not want to leave you there. I'm grateful for these things. I'm grateful for worry. I'm grateful for anger. I'm grateful for jealousy. I've shared with you before, I'm even grateful for depression, And I I say that somewhat recklessly because I've not experienced depression like some of you. But those are all signs. Those are all smoke, right? There means something's burning somewhere. Something's going on. It's ironic, but that was the actual word that was used to describe Jonah's anger. It's a Hebrew word that means burning anger. Burning anger. Something's on fire. Praise God for worry. Praise God for even depression. Praise God for jealousy. And praise God for anger because there means something's burning somewhere. Let's, let's bring to the fire the resources of God, right? Let's bring to the fire the resources of God. Well, hey, if you are identifying with Jonah today, I've got great news for you. God went to extraordinary lengths to reach Jonah. God's grace met him in the belly of the whale. It met him in the blistering heat on the edge of the city. And God goes to extraordinary lengths to meet us as well, right? Jesus, as we prayed, came from heaven to earth to reveal to us the love of God for us. He gave us life so that we, as individuals, as families, as a church, and as a city might experience His mercy and compassion and forgiveness and love. So I ask you one more time, lift up your eyes. Let go of the bitterness and the anger. Let go of the hurt and the pain. Let God be your vision, right? 
And when, when you're able to say, like the old hymn writer, be thou my vision, God, you be my vision, then God will give you His vision. God's vision for Nineveh was that they would come to Him. What's yours? What's your vision for your life? What's your vision for your family? What's your vision for our church? What's your vision for the city? Let me warn you. Let me warn you. I'm speaking to Dave. Is your vision for your comfort or is your vision for God's compassion? Does that make sense? Is it for your comfort or is it for God's compassion? Because the whole point of the book of Jonah is to show you the greatness of God and the greatness of his mission. Nineveh's wickedness was great, right? God's grace is greater. Jonah's hatred for the Ninevites was great, but God's grace is greater. God's compassion is greater. And I have to be honest with you, sometimes I have to remind myself of this on a daily basis, right? Sometimes I need you to remind me of this. Will you help me today? Will you? My sin is greater. Church, what will you say? My family's sin is great. What will you say? church's sin is great. What will you say? Our city's sin is great. But God's grace is greater. If you're still holding on to your pride, your self-sufficiency, your unforgiveness, your pain, it's time, isn't it? It's time to let it go. There's too much at stake here for our stubborn rebellion, right? God wants to do great things in you. God wants to do great things through you. But you must let go and let God have control of your life, of your family, of your city, of our church. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that your grace is greater than all our sin. God, thank you that it extends far beyond the walls of our church to our city and to our nation, which so needs you right now. God, it extends far beyond to the whole world, God, that you desire to know you. And God, would you begin with us? Would you, God, start right here with us? Would you extend your grace to us here this morning? And allow us, God, to believe that there are still great things to be done in our lives, that we've not yet arrived, that we've not yet overcome all the brokenness we need to surrender. God, would you allow us to believe that there are still great things yet to come? God, would you grant us the humility to be able to say, God, we need you and we cannot do this apart from you. Do your great things in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.